Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk, a podcast on recovery with Elizabeth Pudwell and MG. We bring you our experience, strength, and hope from a variety of sources, therapy, 12-step recovery, and life lessons of long-term sobriety. To contact us, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Sober Sisters Talk. We're glad you're here. Now here's our next podcast. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk the podcast. My name is Elizabeth Pudwell. And I'm CJ. And uh, it's a Friday afternoon as it usually is. Freaking hotter than hell outside here in Houston, Texas on June, what is it, the 17th, 18th? It feels like the dog days already. Uh, I feel like I'm in August. One of my goals when I retire, I want to leave Houston every August. I'm going to leave like maybe mid-July and I'll come back in September, you know, because I just, that it does, it feels like August already. Not good. <laughs> I actually enjoy it though because I feel that the pressure is off to go outside now, don't get me wrong, I love the spring and the fall when it's cooler and the days are but you're nice. you're hibernating in the summer, huh? I am. I'm reverse, I guess you call it like reverse hibernating. And I just feel that I can stay inside and not have that feeling of like, you got to get out there. You have to enjoy it while it's nice. So, in some ways, it's kind of uh, relaxing for me. Yeah. So, um, listeners, today, uh, you know, we haven't recorded in a few weeks, her and I just talking or doing the regular podcast. We've done a, a story, but um, we just have had some issues. I got sick. I don't even remember. I got sick. Yeah. So, we both have had COVID, and it's just not good here. But anyway, Speaking of, <laughs> we're going to talk today about triggers. And um, when I first, uh, we talked about this like maybe three or four weeks ago, and I was like, this is what I want to talk about is um, triggers. And um, CJ got real excited. She was like, yes. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to um, I'm gonna read some material that I got from a website. At a, um, I just did some, a little bit of research on what is a trigger. And that's why I thought it would be a really good idea to do this because I got triggered and I don't, I don't think me personally, I don't think I get triggered a lot. I um, used to frequently, but I got triggered and I called my sister and I said, I just got really triggered. And she goes, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, okay. Yes. I know a lot of people in my circle, they will use, I'm just really triggered. Well, are you triggered or are you frustrated? Are you triggered or are you mad? Because there's a difference, right? Yes, trigger um, is one of those words, like boundaries, that I never had heard until I came into recovery and particularly until I came to SLAA. Although it's certainly not word or concept that was created by SLAA, 
it just happens to be widely used almost overused I think in some cases but at least in the beginning it is um, I think kind of a catch-all to describe a state of being that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people so um, well, be specific there. So in your circles, what does what comes up when does somebody call you and say they're triggered? Or do you call your sponsor and say I'm triggered? Or, you know, is it in a meeting? And I did in the beginning. Meeting? I did in the beginning. And I remember um, in SLAA, there's a green booklet called Triggers as a Resource. And I didn't get that right away. I didn't pick it up and read it right away, but it was pretty soon. And then that gave me examples of specific um, scenarios about what it means to be triggered in our program or some of the meanings. Um, But then I went on to understand it better for what it means for me, which may be different than what it is for you. So I'm excited about this conversation. And then, um, you know, let maybe we start what you had suggested before we're recording. Like, what is the clinical definition? And I'll share with you what I've heard from my training in habits and behaviors. Um, and then we can just keep talking like that so this one here and I shared this document with CJ so she can see what it is that I'm reading is totally what happened what I believe a trigger is and I got this from a recovery website it says oftentimes triggers are reminders that put people in a mental and emotional place of distress pain anger frustration and other strong emotions So I want to go back up here and I want to say that triggers are current reminders. So it's usually something that happens right now that puts me in a past mental and emotional place. So sort of like a traumatic, like a uh, PTSD for me, that's what happens. And that is exactly what happened when I experienced this. And it's usually, for me, my my stuff, my addiction is all based around, and you guys, I, you have to remember, I've done loads. I've been in this program since um, 2004. So however many years that is, it's almost 20 years. It's 19 years or 18 years now. And I've done a lot of work. I've been almost in, in constantly in recovery. I've been constantly in recovery and therapy during this whole time and read and sponsor. And so for me, I'm really, really clear what my stuff is and it is not feeling known or important, not feeling value. Like I matter. It's all the same thing, just different layers of words, orders of words, different adjectives. But if I feel like that, and if I feel, if I'm in a situation where um, I feel dissed or dismissed, like, well, she doesn't matter, she doesn't count, your opinion isn't good, then I go right back to that's a current reminder. And it almost always, for me, happens in groups of people. And it almost always happens for me either in work or um, 
with my front end program, either one of those two things. And I guess because those are my most valuable groups of people, you know, where I feel like I'm, I feel really confident there. I feel really confident at work and I feel really confident in program. And so if I get to this thing where somebody kind of disses me or, and it's like, I go right back there. It's just like, it, it is almost as if my mom is, you know, ignoring me. Uh-huh. Right there, uh-huh. That's what you said because it's a current reminder that puts you in a state of the past and it's usually something from childhood. Which a at past your point, mental and emotional place of distress, pain, anger, frustration. At your point of recovery, you've done enough work to know that it's the way that you interacted with your mom. It takes a lot of work, I think, to get to the point where, and it's not impossible, I mean, we can all do it, but to be able to identify that first time you felt that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it, not that it's any less triggering, but it takes some of the power away and it gives you tools to cope with who you are now and. Well, right. And you can see, like, I can see clearly if I don't, if I, you know, I remember I was like 13, 14 years old growing. I was 13 the first time that I drank and smoked weed and um, kissed a boy. And all of those things were together. And that was like way beyond the drinking and the weed. The attention from the guy was the heady. I was like, whoa you know, walking on air all the way home. Who needs a mom when I got that? So you combine the power of alcohol, um, which, you know, as a recovering alcoholic, I have to say, like, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Um, Drugs, as a, you know, casual user of drugs other than alcohol, I could say, yeah, that, that usually sets me up. And then the kiss and the guy and the attention, that's like a super memory it's really embedded in your brain no wonder you would keep guy, looking for if it that guy if he's going to pay attention to me and and treat me like i'm very valuable and like i really matter to him then you, i can see like every time i feel like my mom or that that memory comes up where my mom doesn't love me and this is all in youth you guys this is not current but this is what created the addict in me that heady experience that high all of those three things together it you know it was exactly what i was looking for and i was off to the races right it was the feeling that you really mattered it was the solution to the problem with my mom that i really didn't wasn't even aware of of course of course this feels great wow yeah You want to have sex? You want me to do what? You want me to? Yes, I'll do it all. Just keep telling me I'm important, you know? Mm-hmm. Either with words or with your action, your attention. Yeah. So but- then I had to, like, do that work and remove all of those things, the the heady romantic feelings, the drugs and the alcohol. And then I've also quit smoking and sugar and a bunch of other things. And um, so the trigger comes and I go back to that space where I feel like my, I don't matter. 
and then it, it immediately triggers that response like I don't count my mom doesn't love me I need to do something different and I don't know what to do in recovery and so we'll cross that bridge next but I'd love to hear what your definition is of the trigger and why you developed the addiction when I think of the short definition of a trigger it would be something happens and it sets off a a series of thoughts which create emotions um, that could result in me taking a physical action or a mental action actually of acting out to get relief from it. So if I put the analogy of um, I'm not a fan of talking to her about guns right now, but a trigger is on a gun and um, to actually fire the gun, the trigger has to be pulled. And if I think of firing the gun as um, and a bullet coming out of it, right? Like that would be acting out in some way, shape or form. And so what has to happen to actually have that well it's a complete setup first of all there has to be ammunition loaded into the chamber so that's the first thing that has to happen and that could be maybe i'm engaging in middle circle or um, accessory behaviors to my bottom lines or i'm not taking good care of myself or i'm in halt i'm setting myself up i'm hungry i'm angry i'm lonely or tired so somehow I am not connected to my higher power is usually when I'm going to get triggered because if I'm grounded, I'm centered, I'm in recovery, I'm in the middle of the road, so to speak, and surrounding myself with program and connected, doing step 10 and 11 on a daily basis, working my program, then I'm so less likely to be triggered, which I'm sure is why I was triggered all the time in the beginning, right? Um, so then also you have to, I don't even know what that thing is called, like pull the hammer back, the hammer, the hammer. And that would be another, maybe that's like the, another predisposition to being triggered or that means I, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, you're tired. I actually engage in a middle circle. So, and then the next thing you know, something happens um, that creates a thought in my head, a memory, and then I'm going to pull the trigger and act out. Now that sounds all very like instantaneous, but in reality, the further I go along in recovery, I realize that that can take, you know, again, depending on my condition, my spiritual condition, um, it could take a day or it really would take months perhaps to get to that point now. Um, but that would be it. So, you know, the trigger is an event that could lead to me acting out if I don't deal with it properly, like with the tools of the program. Okay. Um, such as I can talk about this is, I feel embarrassed to say this and people will be like, don't let that woman around my husband, but I'm a, you know, I'm a human being, right? I'm a human being. I'm a woman. I'm very healthy and so it is normal for me to and I'm also an addict so I do have to be careful but for example um I was with 
at the ballpark, right? There's mostly dads around, okay? There are moms, and many times, like, I just stick with the moms, right? But there are a lot of dads, and um, there's just a lot of men around who are, you know, some of them are in good shape. They look good. There's nothing wrong with you hanging around with men. Well, I know, but in my mind... I don't think so, anyway. (laughs) Well, in my mind, something tells me, and I check this in with a program person. In my mind, she reminded me, she's like, there's nothing wrong with that, and you're human. You're not doing anything wrong. But in my mind, there is this uh, I guess it's like some shame or like guilt that I have. Actually, it's my mom's voice that's like, you don't need to be hanging around with men. I don't, you know, you're married. Don't do that. So anyway, I was around the men. We went to, we took the kids to a baseball game. I was the only mom there. I'm having a super platonic uh, chat. Uh, and then I started feeling shame about it. Like, oh, I need to zip up and walk away and go get my vegan hamburger and just remove myself. I wasn't feeling, like, attracted or turned on to this particular person or any of these particular dads. But around the ballpark, like, just in general, I can feel that way. But Um, was it that, was it, did you notice that your mom's voice came into? Yes. Yes. So, there's, that's the. That's the trigger. The trigger. Um, so in that one, you know, I did remove myself from the situation, although I was not likely to act out, but maybe that's a little different. But at the ballpark, um, there were men that I found attractive and I just, I checked it in right away. The trigger could have been like, oh, let me go, you know, talk to this guy or let me talk to that guy. And then thoughts start coming well, maybe there was some reciprocity there like they, it, there you know, could be there could be whatever but it could just and it doesn't have to be even sexual you know it's oh no you're at the ballpark i used to do that i mean girl i grew up in it i know every pool in the greater houston area but all three of my kids played water polo right so, so it's like anywhere that for me it could be like anywhere where people are looking showing a lot of skin you know just there's a whole like fantasy for me like oh look at you know that person I bet he makes a lot of money and he's a great dad and he's good looking and he's fit and I mean I could go down that path but no I check it in right away so that's like a program one I think another one can be like oh you know these moms don't accept me or I don't fit in with them or it used to be around like well, that thing school. of not being good enough. Well, all, you know, that's, yeah, that's very common and sends us down. Yes, it used to be like home. around the the moms at school with the PTA. I would be like, oh, you know, I'm not as awesome as she is, and I mean, I just felt less than. Now they never did anything, perhaps. No, it isn't them. It's us. It's us. You know? It's me. And then, um, oh, I had a thought. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be sexual, um, but it can turn sexual. So, another one is for me when I'm trying to, like, or I think I don't have enough money, and I get in financial fear. Don't ask me. Here's how I discovered this. I did a 90-day celibacy period, 
and I had stopped working and it was my first summer as a stay-at-home mom and I was in charge of the grocery shopping and in my mind because I'm not working a DA program I thought oh I don't have enough money and I got in the grocery and it's at that time this was three or four years ago I was not a good grocery shopper I didn't even know what to feed my kids because I had been not being a stay-at-home mom so I thought oh I just don't even know what I'm doing um I'm really bad at this. I'm going to run out of money. And then all of a sudden I noticed I started feeling sexually aroused. And I thought, what is that? Financial fear. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Like my blood flow. I had no idea that I sexualized fear in that way. Um, and so at that time I would call up women in program and they like, okay, I'm in a celibacy period. What am I going to do? I'm not going to masturbate. Like, what do I do? And I remember this one sweet, kind woman, another mom who wasn't working at the time. Like, she talked to me on the phone for two hours. Like, that's the longest that I ever needed complete hand-holding um, from a trigger. You know, triggers... That brings up a really good point because right after you are triggered, it's you, there's that, there's a very short period of time that we have to do something healthy or to, to, to not go, you know, act out, to not blow our bottom lines. And, you know, I think that, yes. Okay. So I wanted to get back to the, the order of things. So like, you, when I'm triggered, it's either most of the time I can push it away and say, wait, like I did with that thing recently with work. Um, if it's immediate, I, you know, I remember early on in program, I would go into another, um, another coworker's cubicle and stand there and pray. Mm-hmm. Just wait or to the, to the, to the, to the ladies room and just pray and wait until it passed. So there's, you know, if you, if you're following along, we all get triggered. Okay. You get triggered. What do you do about it? Because it just knowing that you're triggered is not going to save your ass. You know, it's a great Um, first step though. And well, yes, but the, it's like you said, what did you do? You called someone else. First of all, you recognize it and you call someone. Um, You can go in the, anywhere where you can and pray. You can even be in your car and just pray, you know, stop it. If you need to close your eyes and get that into it, or you can just like be, you know, out, out loud, God help me. That's, that is a total prayer. That is a complete prayer right there. I did not make Um, eye contact with anyone in that store. What else? What else can we do? Well, we can have, um, I mean, there are a lot of things you can remember the note card that you have me probably all your sponsees make with the 10 things you can do to not act out we can go for a walk we can meditate we can pray we can read literature exercise will take it away every time (laughs) so that's when i feel like i need to masturbate and i that's not an option for whatever reason i yeah i do like uh turn my body upside down um, that helps move the blood flow around, uh, go for a run, all those things. Yeah, the so rate. getting the heart rate up. Right, right. Um, 
What else? We can journal. Can you journal. can journal. Yeah. You can read. You can get on a meeting. You can get on a meeting. I bet we could Google a meeting right now and find one and get on. Oh, absolutely. Somewhere in See? the world, there's an SLAA meeting online right now without or a doubt. Or a podcast. You can listen to this podcast <laughs> and listen to other people. And get, get, it does. It makes you feel like you're right there. Yeah. You know, Whatever you do, if you're listening to this and you want to act out, don't do it. It's not worth don't it. Don't do it. Remember, you know, don't yeah. do it. Don't yeah. do these other things. So you can journal. You can pray. You can clean. You can call somebody. Call somebody who needs help. I can't tell you how many times. Like, there's so many times when I've been like, I've tried everybody I know that, that could help me. No. Call somebody that needs help. Go help somebody. That's a surefire cure for me. It will get you out every time. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Get into a meeting. Google a meeting and get in. Um, so... There's a, and then the third part of this is the sustaining. So we know we get triggered. I get triggered. I'm aware of it. I do one of those things. Then why don't I get triggered near as much now as I did when I came in? Because I have a regular practice of, I guess they're sober activities, but that's where they came from that sustain my my mental health top line behaviors and, and one of them is this you know i go to meetings regularly i don't i really really work hard at not missing um i have several different groups of friends that are in recovery that make me feel um very much a part of that i'm loved that i'm respected um, I also do work out regularly. That is so important to me. And I know it is to you as well. Um, I have to get my heart rate up and, you know, like I call it the, it's the kind of workout where afterwards I feel almost like I'm going to throw up and I have to have that at least four or five times a week. Yeah. I, I have mean, to get we, fed. We you know, are, have we fed. have spiritual hunger, physical hunger, emotional hunger, um, you know, we are body, mind, and spirit, um, is what I've learned. That's what I've learned. I really well, did not like know anything, that before. Anything that keeps us from getting too hung, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Another phrase for getting triggered is getting our buttons pushed. Right? Because you push a button and usually an action happens, Right? You push a button and something comes on. You push a button something comes off. But I just don't want it to get... I don't want listener, you, to confuse getting triggered with getting mad. Because it, you can be driving and somebody cuts you off and it can really make you mad. And then you can like, well, they just took my space and then you can kind of go to this place I got triggered. No, it's not the same, you know? If you get into road rage, you got triggered. <laughs> so I think it's like, what is the behavior? If it's you're trying right. to, the ultimate behavior that you act out in is boundary violating, law breaking, dangerous to yourself or others, that may help it. Yeah, be... what do you want to do to fix it? You know, and that's what happened right. with me at work. It's like I wanted to go in there and like tell them, like, you know, and when I want to do that, I know that that's my, 
I'm triggered. Oh, you know, I got triggered at work um, sort of recently, and I was very, like, you know, the the reason I got triggered was because the the thing that happened is I felt like my ideal was not respected, that it was minimalized, that what I wanted was perceived or even um, verbally described as a potential waste of time and I didn't see it that way at all now I later and I got very mad I got very mad and I went to my car to have lunch and I was angry and I was already too hungry and I actually was doing teletherapy in my car like during lunch it just so happened so I was late for my appointment I felt bad about not honoring my commitments like and then I had a codependent slip and all of this was a major major trigger I went to the car and I overate I overate it was abstinent food but I had more than like the quantity that my food plan called for because it was a con- in a container and I hadn't measured out just the quantity and I ate it all right I ate it all and I knew it when I was doing it though so I was at least conscious of what I was doing but at that point I just couldn't I could not stop right and um i am in a food program because i am a compulsive overeater so for me that's not a behavior that i want to do and from that point on i only took the amount of food (laughs) that was in my plan for my meal to work right or if i you know i packed it well yeah that's what i had to do it's the same thing as if you are hungry and you buy a large family-sized bag of chips and you eat the whole thing you know it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing you're doing it because it makes you feel good and it it's it's that instant gratification rather than the pre you know mm-hmm. the sustaining work and that's what we're talking about here in the um, past when that when things like that i've been uh, angry at work which it happens you know especially i noticed like during my menstrual uh, when it's cycled or when it's time for me to have my period, uh, the older I get, the more like easily angered I am. I used to be crying and in pain all the time when I first started the program, pain, guilt, and shame. And now I'm just, I get really mad and that's okay. But what I do with that anger is what, you know, is the, the problem. So normally I'll go journal or I'll like journal kind of text to a friend for support I do get out and get away and remove myself from the situation which is a way to prevent getting triggered right is to just not let ourselves get in those situations yeah get up stand up even if you're at home you can just go outside and go for a walk you know you can get up and go to another room it doesn't really matter it's something to create that break in the energy and it and and breathe in a different manner you know and it does help what do you suggest if a person gets triggered in a meeting the first thing that they should do is shut the fuck up (laughs) wait no a person i'm a do not share it you know oh oh okay yes no because i've seen that happen before and it doesn't go well and it's not you know it's not appropriate so if you get triggered in a meeting, I would say you can get up and leave if you're in an in-person meeting. If you are 
in a Zoom meeting, you can exit. If you know you can't exit, then at least shut your camera down and write. You know, you can text somebody. You can you know pray. You can stop, close your eyes, and pray. I have to do that all that kind of stuff all the time. I mean, it's just, but you've got to make those type of solutions your, you know, that has to be your norm rather than like, you know, emoting and and sharing it right off the bat, and because it helps so much for me to to stop and like don't do this right now. You're triggered, you know. And figure out why and what is it and what is it triggering in me and what is the you know what what's the, the the trauma that's coming up, and once I get those things together, then I can like really you know do a little bit of work around it and heal it. I think the main thing for me, um, what I really appreciate about program is that yes, there's things you can do in program. There is go to a meeting sponsor, get a sponsor, or be a sponsor, have a sponsor. Meet with them regularly, all of those things. But then, for me, also, there is the um, the working out. You know, being on time, being a, knowing my own integrity, keeping my house clean. Don't let myself get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. All of those things contribute to my sobriety and enabling me to. And I have to talk too. You know, um, speaking to my sponsor. Uh, regularly on a weekly basis is so beneficial and it just helps me remember you know if we talk about one thing I can still apply that to other things that come up during the week that booklet that I talked about the SLAA conference approved literature the green one it's called triggers as a resource and we're human we're alive there's going to be conflict and there there are going to be triggers we cannot well, I say we. I say we as humans because I'm a human and I believe everyone is triggered at some point. And We're probably not going to eliminate them, period. You know? I, you know, unless you're living in a cave by yourself and even then you'll probably trigger yourself some way. I don't know. <laughs> or like a bat will trigger you. Um, it's just not, they're not um, really in our control. What is in our control is how we respond, the tools that we have, and... When I um, relapsed almost four years ago, when I was recovering from that relapse, I did a lot of relapse prevention planning exercises. And one of those was a fire drill. You know, at work, even at home, at school, we plan for emergencies. And you can think of a trigger that might cause you to act out. That's an emergency. So... Is it normal? Would it be reasonable to expect ourselves to know what to do if we had not planned and thought about what we'll do beforehand in an emergency? No. Um, And so actually the exercise was called emergency fire drill. And I listed out several triggers um, and probably like more detail about the triggers, like what the thoughts would be or like the feelings, I guess. And then um, the potential outcome, and then there would be the the steps basically to mitigate or to do in an emergency. And I had those things, and I mean, many of them were like call my sponsor, pray, just the things that we've been talking about. But that was really helpful. And um, 
You know, that's what triggers are like because relapse is like a fire and we don't have wrote, to blow everything surprise, up. When you were talking about something else, I can't remember. Well, what your triggers are, it was surprise fear. Yeah. Because we know like some things are going to scare us. We know that. But this is something immediate and it's almost, it's a surprise and it just scares us, you know? And those are the things that you do. You have to be prepared for those. If you're a mom or a boss or any, you know, you got to be, you have to prepare for it. It's just part of life. And we don't have to hang around people that we know do things that trigger us. Again, it's not about the other person. It's about me. Right. And I don't have to expose myself to that. And how are you going to handle that? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I can say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I can't do that. Or in extreme cases, ask for moving to a different job, different location, right? We ask for what we need and we don't have to tell exactly the reason why, whether you're working in the building with your ex. I mean, I'm not saying this is always possible. Just And if you're going to stay there, just know that it's your choice and that you're going to have to learn to deal with it. Right. Totally. Right. Thank you so much. Listener, thank you for listening. We appreciate you so much and um, the opportunity to to share in this way. You know, our experience with triggers, we've got some really good topics coming up. So keep listening. And if if it's available to you, we have a meeting every Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Time. You can go on the... um, on the podcast on the Houston Slaw meetings and get the Zoom um, get the Zoom link and join us. We'd love to have you. And tell three people about this podcast. Also you can write to us at sober sisters talk at gmail.com. We do have a I guess it's kind of a newsletter, but we'd love to hear your ideals, your feedback. Yeah. Questions? You have a yeah, suggestion for a topic? Thank you. Thanks. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to the Sober Sisters Talk podcast. To find our podcast, we're at www.sobersisterstalk.com. We're also on Apple iTunes and on Facebook. See you next week.